Man, wasn't that incredible today? I feel like we could go home right now and call it quits. But I wrote a sermon, so I'm not letting you off. <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Doesn't everybody look good today? You know, my wife got plenty of compliments on my shirt and tie today. I think she did well. But everybody looks good. I mean, look around. Y'all look good today. Good to see you. Good to see uh, some, some new faces as, as family has come back to visit uh, family. We've, some of our regulars are gone visiting their family. It's kind of a fruit basket turnover here on Easter, but I'm glad everybody who came today has made it. Uh, if you haven't been part of our congregation, if you're new today, if you're just visiting, we've been going through a series uh, really since the beginning of the year through the New Testament. Um, part of the challenge of this was, um, as a church, we read a chapter a day, and on the Sunday that chapter lands on is what I preach on. So today I had kind of a quandary. Do, do I step away from it and then do your traditional Easter sermon and, and talk about the resurrection and all that, or do I go with what we got? So we're in John chapter 12 today. I decided we're going to go with what we got, because... Easter Sunday, the day that we are celebrating today, is the lens that Christians use to interpret the world. It's how we should see life. It is the reason that we change the day that we gathered from the Sabbath to the Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day He was raised from the dead. It's what sets us in motion for everything that we do. First day of the week. It should be how our faith is grounded on how we live the rest of the week. And each week we gather again. And so today we're going to look at chapter 12 because when Jesus' earthly ministry took place, his very disciples didn't understand what Jesus was telling them until after the resurrection, until after the first Easter Sunday. And so as we look at this, I want to remind us of where we started. So in John, the very first verse... And you think I could find it quicker than this. But the very first verse of John sets the tone for his entire gospel. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Even in death, darkness could not prevail. For the light would conquer death. Through the crucifixion, Jesus Christ's ministry meant something. Because it was through his death and his resurrection that his whole work on this earth made any difference because if Easter Sunday came and went and that tomb stayed closed he would have been a forgotten prophet of the Jews we would have had a different date that we celebrate we wouldn't talk about 2019 it would have been some other arbitrary point in history that some mathematician would have figured at a good date to start the clock but as it is he rose, and we celebrate today. We celebrate his life, not his death, because he is on the loose 
He is no longer bound by death. And he lives among us. He is the word. He is the word of light. He is the light in the darkness. And now, as Christians, we live in that in-between time. We live in the time where Jesus has come. He has conquered death, but he has not yet come back to collect his bridegroom, his church. And so we long for that day of his second return, so that we may all experience our eternal home in heaven with Jesus Christ, and then the new earth, the new Jerusalem, where death and pain no longer plague us. But we're in that in-between time. And so while we live as the redeems, redeemed individuals, we still have to battle sin and temptation and death and trying to apply these words of Scripture to our own life so that we may leave here a different person in a world that is out to get us, in a culture that tells us what we believe is silly, is hokum, that it makes no difference. And so we look at our Scripture today. In chapter 12, well, let's back up a little bit. What was chapter 11 about? In 17, Jesus says, uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. We like that saying, but do we know where it came from? It came from the life of Lazarus. You know Lazarus, one of Jesus' friends? Uh, He got sick one day. And they sent word to Jesus because he'd healed all these other people. They said, if Jesus would just say something, or if he would come and see Lazarus, he would not have to die. But Jesus, to reinforce what was taking place with his own disciples, and to show uh, the world the signs that it was possible and what was to come, he lingered where he was at. Another two days, it says. Lazarus dies. And then he finally tells his disciples, all right, guys, let's go to Judea. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but already Jews were trying to stone him on multiple occasions. But it wasn't his time, because his time for glorification had not come. And they're like, are you sure? Judea, you know what just happened when we were there the other day? I mean, they had stones, but I don't know how you slipped through the crowd, but you slipped through and you got away. Then Thomas says, well, let's go. If it's to your death, let's go. They're ready to go. But they hadn't been strengthened yet by the Spirit at Pentecost. And so while you see moments of heroism, you see glimpses of the men that these disciples would become, they had not yet been fully tried. In their heads, they knew what they wanted to do. But their hands and feet had not fully been prepared for the task that was before them. But so they go. And when they get there, They're greeted by Mary and Martha. And guess what? Lazarus is dead. Jesus cries. Jesus weeps because he is moved with emotion. This human side of Jesus is mournful that his friend had died. This one that he shared meals with, broke bread, prayed together, ministered together, I'm sure, for a time. But he died. But he says, let's go to the grave. And so they went. They're all crying. All the Jews there is like, look, he, he loved his friend. He's so emotional. It's, it's so sad. But he says, roll back the stone. His sister, who, who wanted Jesus to come earlier to heal him so he wouldn't have to die, was like, Lord, he's been gone now for four days. 
going to smell. He said, roll it back. Then he calls out Lazarus. Lazarus come hopping out of the tomb like a little mummy, bound in cloth and all that kind of stuff. He said, release him so he can go. And so Lazarus is raised to a new life. And this is a symbol for the disciples of what's to come. What they haven't fully grasped yet. Lazarus is living among them again. But the plot to kill Jesus all strengthens. And now they, the Jews, when they find out what happened with Lazarus, they want to kill Lazarus too because he is a witness. He is a sign. He is a living example of what the power of Christ is in their presence. But they had built up a human system. A system that they have their place of power. They have their place of honor. And this Jesus is about to undo it all. Because if this Jesus comes to power and brings power to their people, then the Romans aren't going to have anything to do with it. And they're going to come in and crush them. So this Jesus has to go. And so are the ones that are with him, this Lazarus. He must be dealt with too. But chapter 12, the one I want to look at today... It opens up uh, just days before the Passover. And Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom it says Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of the one reclining at the table with him. This is where uh, Mary anoints Jesus in preparation for his burial. Now the point of the gospel we're at is chapter 12. We're just about halfway through. We're not towards the end. And we have the scene here of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus eating together. And I want to point out something in verse 2. You've probably read this story, but this isn't the famous one out of Luke where, you know, uh, Martha's busy about serving everything and then Mary's just sitting there listening to what Jesus is teaching and, and Martha finally comes in and says, Hey, hey, Jesus, tell her to help me. I'm running myself ragged so y'all can have a meal. And she's just sitting there. And so this perspective there. Martha served at this meal. She had a servant's heart. She had a gifting for service. Mary anointed. This is what God had laid on her heart to do. Something profound and further significance. And then we see this little quote of Judas saying, why, why did she waste all this expensive perfume on you? We could have sold it and gave it to the poor and all this. And we see how Judas' heart wasn't in the right place. This one who would betray Jesus. It said, for he helped himself to the money purse and took what he wanted out of it. He was their financier. He was their bookkeeper, their treasurer. You've never heard of a treasurer swindling a little bit, have you? Don't Google a church thing because you'll find them all over the place. But it happens. It happened here. And then this should have been last week's text because we have the triumphal entry. So after they've dined at the table, after they've met with Martha and Lazarus, uh, they head to Jerusalem. This is a scene where they come in and there's palms and there's coats laying on the ground. And they're just welcoming. The crowd is ecstatic to see Jesus come in. It wasn't long until, until they would turn on him. But he comes in. Prophecies are fulfilled. 
All these things are the, the disciples, it says in verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when Easter Sunday rolled around, then they began to understand. And so as we read these scriptures, this chapter 12 now becomes visible to us because of Easter Sunday. But then it goes on. It says, uh, my title on this next section, verse 20, says, Some Greeks sought Jesus. It says, Now among those who uh, went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So we see that this Jesus who was sent to the lost sheep, mission was broadening once his anointment took place his mission was see or or was spreading to the whole world and he's attracting many the ones that he came to see the jews who had the prophecies who had the responsibility on carrying the scriptures into with all all these things that were being fulfilled in their presence those he came to see but those would reject him in just a few short verses but some greeks some pagans, some us's out there sought to see Jesus. So they did like a good business person did. You got a connection. Maybe you don't have a connection to the CEO, but if you know somebody who knows somebody, you go to that person to see if that person can get you in to see that person. I mean, if you're ever in the business world, that's how it works. You got a network, right? If you know somebody who may know somebody, you get your feelers out. So these Greeks came. And they sought somebody. Who did they sought? They sought Philip. But Philip's uh, passion or his gifting wasn't in these introductions, was it? That was Andrew. Beginning of the gospel, we see Andrew is always introducing somebody to Jesus. That's his gift. His gift is introducing people to the Lord. Over and over we see him doing this. And so Philip, knowing who has the gift of introduction... Sought out Andrew. And they go together and say, we got some Greeks who wanted to see you. They've been following you in the tabloids and all this, and they know what you do, and they want to meet you. They think you're great, Jesus. So he's there. And then chapter 12 goes on. It, it talks about uh, the prophecy. Jesus talks about the crucifixion itself from, in verses 27 through 36. But verse 36 tells this, while, the light, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. He's telling them this so that they can be strengthened now. Because there will be a time of trial and testing that they may fail. But they can look back and realize and understand once Jesus had been glorified. But then again, those who should have known who Jesus was. Jesus the carpenter's son, the one who was fulfilling all these prophecies. Those Jews, many of them, not all, but many of them, the cultural Jews, the ones who had it all figured out, those Pharisees, the ones who were trying to bring back God's kingdom on earth. But they wanted the glory days of David and Solomon and all the splendor. They didn't want this spiritual revival they wanted to have their king on their throne in their temple and their palace. 
not the Romans, not these outsiders. For God was going to do that. He was going to put them on the map again. They missed who Jesus was. Not only did they miss who Jesus was, they were the very reason that we celebrate today. They fulfilled prophecy, the ones of Isaiah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and they would be healed. The ones who should have known had closed themselves off to what God was doing in their presence. But then this is what I want to look at. Starting in verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried. He cried out. This was something just a, just a moment saying. But he cried out and he said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus came to save the world. It's pure and simple. He didn't come to judge the world. He didn't come as a heavy hand of punishment. To bound, pound it over your head. To find the morals of the Old Testament and the Sermon of the Mount. And to beat you with it. To point out all your sins. It's not what he came for. Many of us think that's what God is about. Is about, you know, this as an old sermon used to say, the, the sinner in the hand of an angry God. At any moment, he will smite you. You want to be smoted, smited? I don't. Jesus came to save. He came to bring redemption. His whole life was about the cross so that he could atone for the sins in your own life. But you have to be careful what that means. Because what that means calls you into something very different than just a free pass. It calls you into life with a Savior. It calls you to come out of the darkness and live in the light. For darkness cannot stand in the light. I always remember when I, I read John's Gospel, the time I went to the inner space caverns on field trips with my kids. You know, there's a part in there where they'll, they'll cut off the light so it's completely dark. I mean, your hand that far in front of your face. You can't see it. Dark, dark. No light whatsoever. When somebody turns on the cell phone light, man, it just pierces the darkness. Cell phone light. A little bitty bulb in pure darkness cannot be covered up. It has a way of cutting through. But if you have heard the words of life, you are not to remain in the darkness, but you are to follow Jesus Christ and let him lift you up 
so that you may be free and free indeed. No longer bound by sin and death, but to live as the redeemed in this presence. You know, remember John the Baptist. You, you had some bad people that would come out and see him. Maybe they were remorseful, I don't know. But soldiers who would extort, tax collectors even call. And they ask him, well, what should we do? He said to the soldiers, don't cheat people. Be happy with your pay. Some tax collector, make restitution if you need to. But be satisfied with what you have given. Don't cheat God's creation. He didn't call us to leave the world, but to live in the world with a different set of lenses. He called us to be different. And he cries out for each and every one of us. So that we may be saved. Jesus Christ came to save, not to judge. If we see Jesus as that angry judge, the one who's just waiting for us to slip up one little bit, and we're fearful that we will never get it right, you've completely misunderstood the scriptures. Because what Jesus' life did was to free us from the pain of sin. But we're living in a world that's in between. We're not yet been perfected because we're still breathing air, breathing oxygen in this world. We are corrupted by the sins of humanity. And the closer and closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more and more our faith follows that of Christ's faith, the better we will become. But we will never be perfect on this side of heaven. But we're not given a free card just to go on living any way we want to. For that's not what it means to live in the light. And I'm going to skip ahead till next week's sermon reading or scripture reading. This is what it means to live in the light. Chapter 13 starts off this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had, had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not, do not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And he had washed their feet and he put on their outer garments. And, and you know how the story goes. But Jesus, the Redeemer of the world, the one who came to save all, took on the form of a lowly servant, the slave. The one whose task was to wash the feet of these travelers of the dirt roads. 
Some of you know what those feet look like. We're not as civilized as we think we are some days. I see what your kids do. Barefoot and back roads, all that. And you've seen the feet of your children when they come in running around the yard barefoot in the dusty roads. That was commonplace. That's why the slave cleaned everyone's feet to make them ready for supper. Jesus took the form of a servant, of a slave. And he calls all of us to do the same. To get over ourselves. It's hard to do, isn't it? Don't put ourselves before anyone else. But be willing to do the lowest job that you can find. But in this story, he taught us how to live in the gifts that he has given us. And so what did we find? We find verse 2 of chapter 12, Martha served. We find verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. This is just a snapshot of the gospel. But each and every one of us has been gifted differently. We are all called to serve the church in different ways. In ways that God has prepared us for. But we're also to do that with the perspective of the cross and the humble servant who washes the feet of his disciples. When we get the perspective right, when we have the right lenses of our faith, we truly become the children of God. As Jesus was sent to save the world, we have been tasked in the book of Matthew, that great commission, to go into all the world, to all of God's good creation, carrying the name of this eternal gospel. So when that day comes, they will know and they will have heard the words of God. That's how you will be judged. You will be judged by the words that you have heard. Have you lived your life in a way that says you have heard the gospel call, you have felt the redemption of the blood, and you follow with a humbled servant's heart, willing to do the lowest jobs, if that is what is required of you? Are you living into the gifts that God has given you? Maybe you say, well, I'm not a teacher. You know, I've been gifted with making money, so I give. That is great. We need givers of the church. It keeps the lights on. But do you give like Christ gave his life? You know, use Oprah Winfrey as an example on this one of all people. She's flamboyant. She does great things. She, she had, I think, his early 2000s, a, a big uh, season opener where the crowd was filled with uh, select group. It was those who wrote letters in that said why this person was worthy and needed a car. I mean, it was people down on their luck and all this kind of stuff. And they were good people. And so family members or friends wrote in to, to have the audience select them. And out of that audience, five won a car. And they had him up on stage. And then, then she did something that was different. She said, all right, so look under your seats. You know how she does that. She always has these gifts. She said, and one of you out there, there will be another set of keys, and you will have, have won another car. And so everybody's excited. Did I win a car? Pulls it out, opens it up. Guess what? Who won the car? 
everyone in that stadium, or stadium, studio, won a car. So if you said, Lord, I'm not gifted with all these different things, but I know how to make money and I can give. That's what giving like Christ gave is. It's not, I make money, so I'm going to give my 10%. It's, I am going to give generously out of all the abundance that you have given me because I am a steward of your good creation and you have blessed me with the knowledge on how to live in this world and make resources available for your kingdom. If you were a teacher, but you show up each week unprepared for a lesson because you can figure it out. Are you living like this? If you pray, do you only pray when somebody asks you or do you do it diligently? I can go on and on about the different gifts. But everything must be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he did. How he gave his life for the redemption of all of us, and how he showed his disciples that you must become last in order to become first. You must be willing to do the task that no one else did because you were sent into the world differently because you are the light. And no matter how hard the world tries, the darkness can never overcome the light. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this time of year and for the celebration of what you have done for us. A gift that can never be paid. One of full of grace and mercy. And Lord, we come today to prepare ourselves so that we may be your children, that we may live the life worthy of the words that you have given us. The words that we can now understand because we have you as our Savior. We have the Spirit that guides us so that we may see clearly how we are to live. But Lord, we need your strength. Because outside these doors is darkness. It's trying to smother out what little light we have in us. Teach us that no matter how hard they try, darkness can never smother the light. Because you have conquered death and given us eternal glory, eternal hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if the Spirit has been moving in your heart today, or maybe in the days that have led up to today, and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to share that with everyone here on Easter Sunday, Come down. Come forward. Maybe you've been visiting this church for some time. And you decide today's the day you're going to join. Come down. Maybe you're just simply in need of prayer. Come forward at this time.